Welcome to Total SF and a flashback episode, my interview with the last black man in San Francisco co-writers, Joe Talbot and Jimmy Fails. I got in a conversation with my last podcast guest, author Chris Collin, about how much we love this movie. It's dreamlike and honest and the movie San Francisco needed last year. And I think it's a wonderful movie to watch now when we're thinking about what we want the city to look like coming out of this pandemic and the power we might have to shape it. This episode came out on June 4th, 2019, back when Total SF was called The Big Event Podcast. One of my favorite interviews, and I hope you enjoy it. From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. I have a few favorite live performance moments that I know I'll never forget. Two Shorts, San Quinn, and more local rappers interrupting a lackluster 2006 Snoop Dogg concert for an unscheduled freestyle right up there. Oakland native Ryan Coogler last year surprising an opening night Black Panther audience at the Grand Lake Theater in Oakland right up there. And I'm adding the end credits of last week's The Last Black Man in San Francisco screening at the Castro Theater, where soul singer Michael Marshall, the voice on I've Got Five on it, serenaded the crowd with Scott McKenzie's San Francisco, reinventing one of my least favorite songs, so it's now one of my favorites. If you're going to San Francisco Be sure to The Last Black Man in San Francisco is based on a story by Jimmy Fails, who stars in the film as a young man who's fallen in love with a Fillmore district home. It's his former family home that he can't have. The movie is director Joe Talbot's first, and it's a piece of visual poetry, exploring Fails and Talbot's complicated real-life feelings about a city that seems to be slipping away. Talbot and Fails both came to the Big Events Archive studio two days after the Castro Theater premiere. Here's Talbot answering the question, did the making of the film make him love San Francisco more or less? I go through different, I feel like you asked me this question next week, I might feel differently than I feel today. Riding the high of these events where we're, we're getting to show our movies in these like, you know, old cinema palaces to a bunch of native San Franciscans and people that have come here and and you know lived here for 10 20 years become sort of san franciscans and, and being here that feeling is really special and it gives me hope for san francisco because i'm looking at crowds of people all gathered in one space and it feels like the community that like sometimes i worry isn't still here so now i feel hopeful but you know maybe next week i'll pass another bakery that i grew up going to and yeah. the doors will be closed forever and i'll feel depressed again The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which opens June 7th in San Francisco and Oakland, is filled with nuance and detail and the faces of real-life San Franciscans who helped Fails and Talbot during their five-year production. In this episode, we talk about that journey. We talk about the difficult but ultimately incredibly moving process of location scouting in your own city. The story behind the main Victorian used in the movie is incredible. It involves a very generous longtime SF resident and his cat. And we share our Danny Glover tributes. Everyone who's lived long enough in San Francisco has a good Danny Glover story. One last warning, there are a few profanities in this episode. The Last Black Man in San Francisco is rated R, and we stayed true to that. 
We're your concierge for culture in the Bay Area. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is The Big Event. Welcome, welcome to the big event. Welcome to the San Francisco Chronicle, Joe Talbot and Jimmy Fails. Congratulations on your film. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, I appreciate that you're appreciating the archive right now. We've been oh, looking yeah, at some no, old photos. It's amazing. Well, I mean, you know, every San Franciscan is obsessed with older San Francisco. I feel like you that's know, so, so true. that's pretty wild for us to be able to you know have access to this. So thank you for that. I mean, that's. Yeah, there's some amazing photos here. Yeah, it's crazy how much you know a photo could do. It's well, we're funny. looking at Bayview, uh, yeah, a little yeah, bit of a little bit of Willie Mays. Well, that, <laughs> that's a big thing too. I, you know, sometimes when I'm bored, like Jimmy said, I'll just go digging for old San Francisco photos. And I had this funny realization the other day. I was looking at all these pictures of of Hunters Point, and well, many parts of it look very different. Some are sort of unrecognizable. Um, and then I found pictures of Pacific Heights. And it pretty much looked the exact same. Yeah. You know, except the cars have changed, obviously, which is, you know, interesting. You know, well, that yeah. part of the city hasn't changed. And I think there's real reasons for that, obviously. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, and reasons for that that are touched on in your movie, uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Um, and uh, congratulations. I, I wanted to talk and kind of get the genesis of even you guys meeting each other. But I wanted to start with uh, I was at the Castro screening and uh, it was a premiere, San Francisco premiere at the Castro. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just tell me what that was like. I mean, it was, it man, seemed like just, you compared it to church, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. It was just a lot of things, man. It was like, man, it was just magical. It was just magical, unforgettable. I mean, just so many people from all over the city, all the natives, um, all being together. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like, yeah, it's just it's, it. It felt so beautiful to, to have all those people in in one space enjoying we don't get something that, that, that we much. did for the for for the city for them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and to have them receive it so well was just, um, yeah. I don't know how I didn't cry. You know, what I mean, I, I don't. I'm usually a crybaby at that sort of stuff. But I, you know, I wanted to, but but yeah. I mean. Yeah, it was amazing. Like, you know, that space where I. You know, some of my first movie memories are there. Like, you know, my parents telling me, took me there when my feet couldn't touch the ground for sing-alongs. And then I've seen so many movies that I love there for the first time. You know, um, Man, Sunset Boulevard, Lawrence of Arabia. Um, and then Eddie Muller gave me my first job at the Castro. Oh, nice. Shooting a, a dock on Noir City. Um, and first time I ever got paid to make anything in film. Um, so, you know, you watch those movies and you dream, you know, one day maybe you can show something you've made there. But even then, to do it, like Jimmy said, and be around all these people, we just don't have that many spaces left where natives all are together and, and different kinds of natives, you know, from different mm-hmm. neighborhoods in San Francisco, all in one space, talking amongst each other. That felt like, you know, that alone was, was worth the five years of work to make this movie. Yeah, it was just, you know, the main thing was for me was the gathering of people that was the biggest most important thing just everyone that was there and then experiencing you know watching it you know i was like you know i I don't like to watch myself really but you know it's like how could i not watch it with them and see their reaction you know so that was a super exciting and super um yeah just just unexplainable I'll, i'll never forget that night 
any surprises in the audience? I mean, I know the cast was there, and and uh, but were there people in the audience that oh, just kind of blew? Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds. Oh my God! Oh yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, just say. Mike Marshall is singing. You know, who sang "I Got Five oh, yeah. on It." Uh, he's singing, you know, the Scott McKenzie song, San Francisco. Emil, our composer, is playing the organ, rising up from the ground. And I look over, and Danny Glover is talking to Barry Bonds. This is all happening <laughs> in one sort of, like, you know, it's just like all these people, if you grew up in you know, 90s and 2000s like us, that are, like, legends to us. Yeah. Um, it was great when uh, Jimmy's character, who, you know, Jimmy went to Reared in real life, and the character in the film did too. And the realtor says he went to SI. It got a huge howl. Boo! <laughs> I was like, that doesn't happen when we play it in New York. Yeah. yeah well, you guys met when you were pretty young. Um, were you talking about films? Were you dreaming about films? I was hoping you could talk to me about how you guys met and if, if film was even a part of it back then. Uh, well, I mean, you know, Joe's had a fucking, excuse me. No, you can friend. swear, man. We're um, going to put yeah, an explicit sure. label on oh, it. For sure, And then, sure. you know, anybody who's got kids yeah, well, going. Joe's had that. a camera in his hand <laughs> since he was, uh, like, I don't know, and very young. in his yeah. mouth. And cuss words <laughs> in his mouth, yeah. But, he, you know, he's always had a camera. He has little child videos. That he, you know, I mean, you could see the director in him from, like, a very young age. He's, like, telling his little brother, uh, Nat, um, like, oh, no, you got to do it this way. He's, like, literally, like, eight years old telling Nat to, like, no, you got you to do another, you know what I mean? It's like, so uh, he's always kind of had that in him. I mean, makes sense. But um, I don't think, I mean, we always, you know, part of our friendship is talking about everything. But, you know, we also... You know, part of our bonding is exchanging movies and art and music. Uh, so exchanging that with each other, you know, it's just like there's a constant dialogue about that. It's like, oh, you hear a song and you're like, oh, I know Joe would like this, but he probably doesn't know it. So I'll show him and then he'll show me some older stuff that I didn't know or yeah. or whatever. So um, The only thing as good as is hearing a song for the first time mm-hmm. is then when you get to show it to like one of your best friends exactly. and watch them take it in. Exactly. We have like a lot of similar music taste. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's always like a fun thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that is what, sort of led to us being able to start creating together you know we've been sharing stuff for so long and we made music together before and we've you know so we just have always just been collaborating yeah was there a a point where you thought a feature film's possible either by technology or or um you know some directions in your life that you thought hey we, we might be able to 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 get some of these ideas on a on the big screen like you've done i mean I think it was, you know, it's just, it's, a, it's a dream you have, you know, it's 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 crazy to see your dream come true like it did, but it's never like, you know, we're just, I don't think in the beginning we were just like, oh, we can definitely do this. It's like, you know, we got an idea and we got something we're working hard towards and we're developing and we're meeting, you know, these friends and collaborators these uh, along the way that are helping develop that, um, that, that kind of make it seem more like it can happen you know like once you're meeting those people and they're supporting you and they're they're helping you then then that's when it's like oh okay well damn maybe maybe we can do it you know because before it was like you know how how the hell are we going to do this it's like you know in the beginning stages it's like we're thinking we could just shoot a feature length with no script sort of thing and like you know i mean we we don't know you know we didn't know what we were doing necessarily so it's all those you know people along the way that you know that's why it's 
it's so, you know, I always like to mention everyone that helped it. It took a whole village to, to make this because, you know, they, you know, people have been working with us for years that weren't getting paid and, you know, that just were there to support the story. And it's like, you know, for me personally, it's like because the story's so personal, it's like that just means like the world to me, you know, it's like them directly, you know, telling me that they love me like they're, they're literally just breaking their backs for for this story you know yeah. and to to get that out there so um. yeah and for context i mean what jimmy's saying you know it's true about like when we started i i had lifetimes you know a lifetime of loving movies but i didn't know anything about how you make a feature film neither of us did you know my friend has only ever acted in my movies and i'm a high school dropout so you know it it was a a learning experience these last five years it took us to make this movie um and this kind of crazy weird wacky path that we ended up you know going down like jimmy said with with people that became our best friends and part of our film family what was the biggest hurdle and was there kind of an, a eureka moment where either some funding came through or or you know someone gave you some advice or something that just you feel like is the point where you knew this was going to go forward do you have these moments throughout you know i mean five years you get a lot of no's and a lot of people that just you know understandably don't want to take that risk on a first time feature director mm -hmm. and and his friend some making people this movie come on and then they 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 leave after that you know it's like some, some people, people yeah they, exactly they yeah, come on for a few months they help you you know uh, and they believe in it but then of course yeah their interest wanes or they get other things or they frankly just have to get a job because you know this it's it's hard to exist in san francisco as we all know but you also have these little like moments, these little victories along the way that you all, especially when you're a group doing it together, you rally around, you go out, you, you celebrate, have a good dinner together, and you kind of creep closer. So there wasn't, I'd say, you know, necessarily one moment, but there, there are things that stick out, like the first real official person to reach out to us who actually had some industry ex experience was uh, a woman named Kalia Neal, who's from East Oakland originally, and uh, she had been in New York uh, cutting her chops as a producer and she always wanted to come back to the Bay and like make a movie about the Bay. And so she reached out to us because she saw a very funky, what we called concept trailer that Jimmy and I had shot and put online. This was five years ago. And, um, and she became our producer. Um, and that felt like a big moment because you know, it's one thing for your friends and family to love what you're making, but mm -hmm. someone else who doesn't have any sort of bias, that like gave us, I think, a confidence. And then of course, you know, like I watched Barry Jenkins go from this guy you'd see around San Francisco to winning an Academy Award working with Plan B and A24. So when we had our first meeting with Plan B, frankly not expecting much, Kalia and I went down to LA. It was like a rare rainy LA day. And we sat with Christina O. Oh, and um, when they came on, it was like, it's just, that was a wild feeling yeah. you know it felt it, it kept the project kept getting bigger and bigger incrementally over those years to now you know we thought i think Kalia was reminding me the other day at the premiere she was like remember we thought we were gonna have to like rent out to castro just to do a friends and family screening and that might be the one theater it would ever play at you know four yeah. years ago that's what we were talking about we we're going god if we could just do that alone that'd be great but now for that to be the premiere and it's you know about to then be in theaters like the Metreon where we went <laughs> as kids. That's, that's, that's like so you kind of like step man. back and oh, wow. I mean, like yeah. I mean for me, it's <laughs> I don't know. Just having you know, I just feel so proud. To, I mean you know because I have my grandfather's name and that was like he was like a big you know 
idol of mine. I've always idolized him and thought he, I thought my grandpa was Superman just from stories that I heard. I never got to meet him. But um, so just, you know, having that name up there, it's not just my name, you know. Hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I'm going to keep this low spoiler and I'll say it in the intro too. Um, and I'm writing the review and I'm just keeping as few spoilers in as possible because a lot of the reason that I enjoyed the film was the surprises. Hmm. But um there is an autobiographical aspect, and, and we will say, you know, there's a house involved in the film or that's connected to Jimmy, your character. Uh, um, my question is, how much of this was autobiographical and, uh, you know, making the film? How much did you want to stray from that and how much did you want to stick from that to that? Um, I get that question a lot and I always kind of respectfully tell them that, you know, it, it's everything is emotionally true and it was very... You know, I, I I had to go back to a lot of places in myself that were that were kind of tough to to get through. But you know, there's a lot of you know like there's scenes like you know the scene with my mom like that's something that really happened. And then there's you know I really was in a group home and and stuff like that. Um, but um, you know you just you you're just trying to tell it the story you know end of the day. Um, so everything was real for me I felt like you know and it, it was very doing this movie was um it it helped me get through a lot of things that I hadn't necessarily gotten through within my myself and my family history and and and, and you know lies and whatever you know mm-hmm. um so yeah well you know I I see a film and uh, uh, you know like a Philip Kaufman film I'm always respectful that he'll go into a different neighborhood and you'll see something kind of different in the film Mm -hmm. but this film I feel like it was San Francisco just under a microscope I mean there you know there are sites that I go by every day that I never would have thought I'd see in the film I mean Mm -hmm. this building with the giant stay sign on the side is the SRO that you use I won't say any more than that but there's you know a, a great visual scene of of drama and comedy involving one of those gray line fake cable cars that go by with the party bus um i wanted to ask you about like location scouting what was it like shooting this film you know were you was it a little bit guerrilla style and also um how much help did you get in terms of getting these great locations after tons of i mean sorry tons of help though again collaboration this movie is nothing without everyone that helped so is there's like people you know there's Daniel Lee who was the location scout that helped a bunch mm-hmm. and then there's you know but then there's also you know Luis Alfonso de la Parra who's helping location scout there's mm-hmm. you know and then he, he has he's wearing so many hats and then there's everybody you know it's, it's kind of taken a part in that you know Joe's location scouting you know I mean it's mm-hmm. like you know so um we were uh, oh that sounded like a cable car so. yeah yeah uh we I were. should mention there's a little construction going on next door. Oh, it's fun. It keeps it alive. Yeah, and I normally I'd find another location, Wait, but I thought it's construction it, going on in San oh, Francisco. Right, right over crazy. here. Yeah, so it that's fits crazy. in with your movie, you know. Yeah, so. that's right. I know. We had yeah, totally. Yeah. We would, you know, to that point, we would find a location we loved, and then we'd come back a month later and prep, and it would be you know being bulldozed. Um, <sighs> that happened very often, uh, but to what Jimmy said. I mean, we were obsessive about locations because, as you know, every time you see San Francisco in film, you know, even if the movie's not that good, you kind of like sit up, you perk up mm-hmm. and watch because we love seeing our, our movie, our city depicted in movies. Um, but we also feel like Jimmy and I, like we haven't seen 
our side of San Francisco and, and film as yeah, much. And so, an, yeah, it was it was just important to get those familiar places that people can be like, wow, you know, they can really, because we know how we felt when we saw our city, and it wasn't places that we would always necessarily go. Mm, so yeah. it's like these are places that are like, oh, like we, I, I know exactly what street that is. I know you Jimmy know, Jimmy has I'm spent a lot familiar. of time in the TL. We yeah, did spend a lot of time yeah. on the Mission, you know. Yeah, and, and that's. That's all a, those different neighborhoods too. Sorry, no, 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 no. Go ahead, keep cutting you off, bro. My bad. No, no, it's good. Um, but um, you know, just for to be in all those different neighborhoods, then you can reach so many different people that are from here. It's like you know, the Hunters Point people could be like, oh, Hunters Point's in there, and then the people from the Michigan like, oh, the even Double in Rock, there. even Double Rock, Double yeah, Rock got torn down after we finished. Right after we finished, we had seen with Sam Quinn in a candy house and two archive now because we have that film. So it's like it's just you know we're in the archive right now. Yeah, you know it's like you know to have that is you know. Um, it, it's very important, I feel like, for San Franciscans. And I, that's why I feel like we, you know, we, we get the love from them, you know, when they saw that and, and all the reactions and that we were getting, and, and, you know, in the screening at the Castro and stuff. So. That's the thing is, like, yeah, but it was a lot of work. It was years. You know, usually I guess you would have, you know, on a feature film like this, maybe a month or something to scout locations. But everything from Jimmy's house, obviously, is a very important one. It's almost like casting a character in the film. Mm -hmm. It's so crucial that you fall in love with that house. Um, I think in the way that, you know, Jimmy does, you want the audience to really feel like, wow, this is this kind of magnificent place. Um, but everything we wanted, you know, it is so crucial also that I think for people from here, but also people not from here, that you see why San Francisco is worth fighting for and part of that's the people and another part of that is the places these beautiful places that we all cherish so that's why we spent so much time and like Jimmy shouted out I mean Luis Alfonso de la Parra Rob Rickert Fritz like all of our sort of close team when we weren't writing the script we were out walking around the neighborhoods and just finding places like that SRO you mentioned in Tenderloin and then writing scenes around that um, so in a big way, the locations in this movie sometimes even informed the scenes themselves. I, you don't have the kind of budget, and I'm sure the kind of the the amount of people to just hey, get me that spot. What, what was it like? I mean, are you sending letters to the SRO and how? how are you? I mean, it's that's. I mean, Dan, you know, Daniel we, Lee, Daniel Lee was, was killing it. Like We'd find a right. place. He made it because you're right. You find a place often, and then it's just like. You know, there's no way. Like, you have to find five places you love for one location, and maybe one will work out. But Daniel Lee was so good at his job, it felt like, it felt like every place we fell in love with and brought to him to try to secure, he did. You know, yeah. that place is a hotel that didn't let us film there at first. Daniel Lee kept annoying them. This is the SRO I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but then there were some places that felt like uh, faded and that worked out uh, with, with an eerie uh, level of ease. One of those was um, the main house in the movie, Jimmy's house. As a kid, my mom and I would drive, just she'd drive me to school, and we couldn't afford like a proper Victorian, but we would like, so we'd dream about which like our, you know, favorite Victorians were in the city, and she'd point them out, and I'd point out, we'd pick them out on our way to school. And that was one of them, is on South Van Ness, beautiful house. And so we knocked on the door one day as we were scouting, and this old man came outside, he said, what do you want, you know? And we said, oh, we're making a movie. Jim and to Tyler. our surprise, he, like, brought us in. This guy named Jim Tyler. And you step inside that house, and the whole world, even very busy South Venice, that just kind of fades away, and there's organs. And, you know, this guy, 
turned out to be an incredible San Franciscan in his own right. Beyond being named the same name as Jimmy, Jim had moved there um, like 60 years ago and um, had first lived there with his partner, who was an African-American man. Jim's a white man. So they're a gay interracial couple in the mission, I believe, in the 50s. He, they broke up. He lost the house, um, or he left the house. He moved, I think, to Egypt and came back. It had been turned to a halfway house, and he rebought the property. Like never got over this house, and he, this is the house at the center the of your movie. Oh my God, it's got this great history, it's just like in the story. movie. Yeah, and he spent, like in the movie, the next you know fifty years of his life working on the house, restoring it. He built the witch hat you see in the film carving it shingle by shingle and there's an amazing video of him i think in the 80s flying on a crane through the air on top of the witch hat like mary poppins and putting it on we almost used it in the film because it was so magical but he you know again in the spirit of san francisco uh welcomed us in it is a very disruptive thing to have a crew you know 50 people running around your house breaking shit you know bumping up against the walls you can understand letting the cat out we let the cat out <laughs> his cat out his really precious cat that, yeah. but he was so he was like man i mean there's no way this movie frankly would have got made without him because we struggled for so long to find a house that fit this movie and people either wouldn't let us in or they had gutted the insides of what was a gorgeous Victorian outside, and so it just didn't work for this film. So, you know, we're forever indebted to Jim Tyler. Yeah, I couldn't imagine any other house. I don't know how you guys get through interviews without just tearing up, you know? (laughs) I mean, so much of your heart seems to be in this film. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, do so many of them, we can't cry at all. (laughs) But, yeah. But definitely. But you do sometimes, just we're on the interview this morning. I mean, people are calling in and telling us stuff. It's like, yeah, you definitely get a little teary eyed. They're like calling and saying how much, you know, and like people telling me stories that they have that are similar to mine and and, um, how much the city means to them. And, you know, the the loss that they feel for it and all that. It, yeah, it definitely, you know. I, you know, I, my grandparents immigrated here and then I moved out, you know, about 2000 just because my wife and I figured that was our only chance of ever being homeowners was to get out. And I, I had resentment. And I remember uh, last year I did a stunt as a joke where we, me and Heather Knight, our city hall columnist, wrote, um, wrote every Muni bus in one day. And traveling the city randomly like that I fell in love with it again I've, I've since like you know it was a epiphany mm. I wanted to ask you guys you're writing this love letter but then you're shooting in the city and seeing all these different parts of the city that probably are even beyond what you, your normal travels what's your relationship with the city been like coming out of making this movie hmm. is it stronger is it weaker I don't want to I don't want to lead you I anywhere think, but yeah I'm Man, it's 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 weird because you know that it's always going to be beautiful. I'm always going to walk, you know, like especially with all the press that's been happening. Like yesterday, I had like an hour free time before it's like the Oakland premiere. I just walked, like you know, for like thirty, forty-five minutes, just walked, um, and that's you know that that's that brings you back to like oh wow, you know, like it's so like I can't you know I just it's unforgettable like the places you see and just the feeling you get when it's like an overcast foggy day in San Francisco and you're just walking you know um 
So I think you know it's like you, you can never not love San Francisco if you if you if you've loved it once. I don't know how you could you know ever not love it if you if you've loved it. That's pretty so, close to a key line in the yeah. movie right yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. As you can see, yeah, yeah. they come yeah. out of conversations, the script. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. I I agree. I mean. I go through different. I feel like you asked me this question next week. I might feel differently than I feel today. Yeah. yeah. Riding the high of these events, where we're we're getting to show our movies in these like you know old cinema palaces, to a bunch of native San Franciscans and people that have come here, and and you know lived here for ten twenty years, become sort of San Franciscans and, and being here. That feeling is really special, and it gives me hope for San Francisco because I'm looking at crowds of people all gathered in one space, and it feels like the community that, like, sometimes I worry isn't still here. So now I feel hopeful, but, you know, maybe next week I'll pass another bakery that I grew up going to, and the doors will be closed forever, and I'll feel depressed again. Yeah, no, I I get that. Well, there's a couple things I just wanted to cover. I'm going to jump around a little bit. We won't call it a lightning round, but something like that. Um, I I experienced this film on two different levels. Like I experienced the film, but also as someone who's local, just catching all the spaces. We talked about that. And the people. Uh, San Quinn is in this movie. (laughs) Mike Marshall, the loons, you know, he he (laughs) sings on I've Got Five on it, performs in the movie. Um, I mean, it's a... I want that track now on my on my phone. Um, did you have a checklist? Were there certain people you wanted to get in there? And uh, and uh, I just wanted to ask you about that. All these great Jello Biafra shows up yeah. as a tour guide. He's been here. He's he's on the wall. I think it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You, you can take that if you want. Just I mean yeah, like you know, for us, there, all the people you named, um, and then people that aren't even necessarily famous people, but like. You know, San Quinn, like you mentioned, he's in this candy house and he's arguing with the candy lady in Double Rock. This woman was a woman who was working at Whole Foods. Uh, we were scouting, actually looking for houses, and I walked in to get lunch, and she was so charming. She was working in the cake section, mm-hmm. and she had been a candy lady in real life, she told me, so she clearly has some affinity for, <laughs> for selling sweets. And um, she actually had been a candy lady in Army Street, which is where Jimmy lived, and I, I grew up right up the street from there. Um, so, you know, but she just felt so San Francisco that at a certain point you're like, well, like it just doesn't make sense to imagine it in anyone else's, you know, voice. Um, but even down to like the Greek chorus, you know, in Hunter's Point, all those guys are natives. Jamal Trulove obviously has his own very complicated, yeah. you know, story. I mean, that's a huge one. Just uh, Jamal Trulove, he he was wrongly yeah, yeah. convicted and and yeah. uh, got a ended up getting a settlement with the city. Mm-hmm. But what's that worth when you lose that much of your life? Yeah, Several years, years of exactly. his life, you know. Yeah. And we and met he's him. in your movie. Yeah. He is. We, well, and again, another you we know, met there's... him at United Players, which a yep. lot of people know, and you know, Rudy Corbis is well well known around the town. You know, hero in um, San Francisco. So you know, it's like people. you just bump into that, and it's like that. But that's what made the movie authentic, having all these people that are, are from here. It's like, you know, if we're going to make something for the city, it has to be by the city, you know, right? Um, so. Yeah. And that's the thing, too, is, like, there are those people, like you said, Jamal, who appear in the movie. But then there's these heroes behind the scenes, like Rudy. Mm-hmm. So there's all these other San Franciscans who, you know, aren't in it, but are still such a crucial part of how this got made, mm-hmm. um, who connected us and, and bridged these gaps, you know? Um, so it's... That's what's fun too, man. Being at the Castro, looking out, 
and seeing like you know some of these guys in that Greek chorus are guys I've been making work with since high school um Antoine Ritas went to soda with me Mm -hmm. and you know he was an actor there um and uh to see him and his whole family out at the Castro you know it's just like for us obviously for me and Jimmy it's very personal but it's in some ways almost just as personal for all those guys as well Mm -hmm. you know yeah, uh, I wanted to ask too about um, just how you feel right now. I mean, are you able to enjoy it uh, now that it's being distributed? Um, there's a lot of things you can't control now. Is that is that more pressure or less pressure now? And with working with these guys at H24, it feels like less. I'm sure it yeah, can I mean, usually they, be a lot more so, stressful. But so good to us, you know. It's yeah. like, you know, um, they couldn't. Yeah, I mean, they, they they make it so much easier for us to come here and and do this you know they they like you know working tirelessly they probably barely getting any sleep and they're still bringing good energy positive energy and making sure we have everything we need so that we're comfortable and and present and um so yeah I mean, have you everyone gets how um i think brave it was of jimmy to do this like there's just this shared understanding of every single person that came onto this movie is like i think really respects and and you know especially for people that have made movies, it's just unique what Jimmy did. And so I think we all in our own way are trying to sort of like honor that. And I feel like even down to the marketing materials, which sometimes feel like I'm sure in a lot of movies, the creative team is removed from it. There's like always a conversation. So even as you get into this leg of it, where you are talking, you know, Mm -hmm. to people and you're saying the same stories over and over again, you know, (laughs) Um, when you talk to people that love San Francisco, and people that are having a, uh, for this, you know, the movie's hitting them in a certain way and having this resonance with them, um, it doesn't feel like work. It just feels like fun because we've been living with it for so long. It's, you sort of relish the chance to get to talk to people about it who have just seen it for the first time. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Well, I, I've taken up a lot of your time, but I, we talked uh, before we came on that uh, when you guys walked in, we were chatting a little bit and saying that everybody's got a Danny Glover story. Um, <laughs> yeah. Danny Glover's in this movie. I was hoping that just the three of us could share a Danny Glover story each. You guys on, up for that? Okay. My, mine is I, I lived in the hate for a year and a half, uh, 99 to 2000, and, and uh, I worked out at the Coret Gym, and he was rehabbing a knee, mm. and I'd see him there all the time. I left him alone, you know. Of course. So I one, one day I'm walking up behind him and we're going into the correct parking lot, USF gym. And I see this kid coming from the side with that look in their eye. Like, he, I know he's going to go say something to him, but the kid's like, not sure what to do. <laughs> so the kid's like, hey, and Danny Glover stops. He sees something's going on and I can tell he's kind of bracing himself. And this kid, like in his early 20s, comes up and just stammers, can't say anything. And finally he gets out and he goes, hey, hey. You're Lawrence Fishburne, right? Oh. <laughs> and Danny Glover, really cool, like really polite, goes, nah, man. And, and like in his Danny Glover voice, <laughs> like, I'm too old for this shit voice, he's like, nah, man, you got the wrong guy. And the guy just stood there. I didn't say anything to him. Oh, that's, that's fun. That's way funny. So that's a mind. short one, but that's my Danny Glover um, story. Yeah. Every San Franciscan has one. Well, what's yours? <laughs> All right, well, I guess mine is, um, so, you know, we dreamed of having Danny, obviously, because he's such a San Francisco icon. You know, we dreamed of having him. But I guess, you know, the producers and everybody had been trying to get him on board. They couldn't reach him, you know. And um, 
I'm walking back home one day and I get a call, pick it up. Like, hey, it's Danny. And I'm like, <laughs> obviously I know the voice. So I'm like, oh shit, like Danny Glover just, just called me. But he's also like, he's eating lunch or something. So he's like chewing. He's like, hey man, I just wanted to say, you know what I mean? <laughs> and he was like, I just wanted to ask you about like, what's really going on with the movie and stuff. And you really from the film? And, and, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then he's like telling me, uh, you know, all, all, like, you know, history of the film and just, you know, we were just, just talking about that for a while. And he was just, you know, educating me on a lot of stuff that was happening over there. And, you know, all the live acts, he saw the temptations live there. And, uh. um, so yeah, we were just, we just had to like a conversation, you know, like while he was eating and stuff. And it was, it was cool. That was my, <laughs> he just called me. It was, it was crazy. Was he on the set? Was he helpful to you? Was oh, he? Oh yeah, no, yeah. He was super, he's super cool, man. He's super genuine, and you know, you can just, yeah. you know, he just has that look in his eye that he, he's just, I mean, just a genuine person. You know, I mean, he just, you know, he, he embraces, he embraces you, and you know, what I mean, he, he's there for you. Um, very helpful, very, very humble, very helpful, and. Um, He's like the living embodiment yeah. of what's great about San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. I hope I, yeah, I hope I'm that cool when I'm his age, honestly. Yeah. It, my story piggybacks on Jimmy's because <laughs> I got home. We're in the madness of, of pre-production, and Jimmy and I were both, you know, at that time living at my parents' house because that's what you do to make a movie in San Francisco. And I get home, my mom's like, "Did you hear Danny Glover called Jimmy?" And I go, "No." <laughs> what the fuck? I run downstairs and Jimmy's like casually like laying there. I go, bro, Danny Glover called you. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, he did. He was cool. It was cool. I was like, well, what what happened? Like, what, did you tell him about the movie? He was like, I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but you know, it was just like normal conversation. I was like, what? The f-? So like, get like, I think I got his number from you, and called Danny, and you know, I think Danny obviously had like really enjoyed talking to Jimmy, um, and so Danny and I start talking, and. He goes, you know, um, he started telling me about Royal Tannenbaums. And he goes, you know, Wes Anderson, man, when he wanted me to do Royal Tannenbaums, he took me to see Kofi Annan. And he said, that's what I want you to dress like. And that's what made me do Royal Tannenbaums. (laughs) Which is, yeah, cracked me up. Um, I mean, but honestly, for me, it was just like Danny was in everything I felt like when I was a kid, you know? And then again, you'd like see him in movies, but then you'd also hear like, I grew up on stories of his activism, you know, being at the strikes at SF state and everything. Working for the city. Working for the city. I mean, mean, some people have activism as like a side gig to their acting, right? It feels like Danny's activism came in a way even before it. And so that's, what's remarkable about him. And that's what's so San Francisco about him. It's like, when you hear him talk, like Jimmy was saying, about San Francisco history, you're not listening to an older man talk about the glory days. You're listening to someone like he's, it's it's important. It's like yeah. a history lesson that we all so, should know. Yeah, and he's so passionate treat. about it, and he's still so, like, when he's talking about it, he's like, it's he's gift, into it. Man. It's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So Last night at Oakland was like. Yeah, it was like, man, he dropped can get so the many gems. Yeah, I know, he dropped so many gems. Like, I feel like everyone from San Francisco should should hear what that man said yesterday night yeah. it was just i was just sitting there in awe like you know yeah. we we dig around in in the archive and find surprises all the time i'm hoping someday i find like a danny glover at some protest before oh, yeah he's big that that happens here i mean we yeah. we found uh wow. we found stuff like that stuff when you know 
Brandon uh, Crawford when he was a little kid at a oh, Giants yeah, that's game, a great photo. and we we found oh, other yeah, stuff like a, that. Yeah, that a, a candlestick. So Danny Glover as a kid is my goal. Yeah. Um, we have Mario Van Peebles as a kid at a protest. Wow, anyway. that's cool. I just want to thank you guys. I, yeah, I greatly enjoyed the film, um, and uh, I appreciate you coming to the archive. Um, I bring people here all the time, but I feel like you guys really belong here, you know? And uh, you, so you are welcome back here anytime just to look around. And uh, I hope you have a great, uh, great rest of your tour, and I uh, hope people check out the movie. Well, thank, thank you, you Peter. So really appreciate you so having much. us here. Right, it's great thanks. to look at all this history. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to our guests, Jimmy Fales and Joe Talbot. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producers are King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album, Community. Read our columns and subscribe to The Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S. <laughs>